What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dental and Mental Podcast. I'm Dr. Galen Dietrich, and you are? I'm Dr. Davina Dietrich, and we are going to be talking to you about the business and the mindset of dentistry. That's what we do here on the Dental and Mental Podcast, don't we? All right. So hope everybody had a fantastic holiday. Christmas. Yeah, had a Merry yeah. Christmas. Yep. Hope everyone had a great time, spent some time with the family, all the rest, which can always be an eventful time. Um, I think that's a bit of what we want to talk about today, actually, right? Yeah, it is. We're talking about coming off of the holidays and really adjusting your mindset and your emotions to where you want to go and what you want to create in 2024, especially as we set the vision for the practice. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we were kind of talking a little bit earlier um, today and yesterday a bit of why this time of year can be so difficult. And I think for lots of people, it's a great time. I mean, they're around their family and it's tough work. Um, it's filled with a lot of nostalgia. And then for others, it's relatively miserable, you know, or somewhere between. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting topic to discuss because it does affect each and every one of us. Yeah. And I think everybody has such, um, individual experiences of the holidays to your point whether it's really nostalgic and fun and lots of memories and you have a big family or you can have drama you're closing down the office you're dealing with staff issues there is a lot of things to get ready as we come up on tax season and preparing all of that so for a business owner which you are how does it feel wrapping up the end of the year yeah you know i think it was an interesting go this time around because one of the things you and I really want to do on this podcast is be very honest about where we're at, what we're going through, the things that are going well, and also the things that don't go so well. You know, we're kind of figuring things out just like anybody else. This time around, um, there was a lot of things to to celebrate. It was an incredible year. Um, as a practice, we set some pretty big lofty goals. And I think we you know, not, we didn't just hit those, we actually exceeded them. So that was awesome as a team. Um, but it was definitely a different time of year, this go around, I felt like for, for us, when we, we kind of had a different version of, of Christmas, this go around than we typically do. Who's us? You and me. Well, I, well, cause you're talking about the practice. So I'm giving some context as and are you talking about us from the practice perspective or us it's a good question. as personal, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's it's really balancing both. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's probably the reason why I didn't make a, a caveat um, is that it feels like it's so intertwined, you know, your business and your life. And I think that's it's maybe one of the distinctions that we'll make so that it's easier for people to understand and to comprehend and they, our, our brains work categorically. But one always is going to impact the other. Absolutely. And so, you know, and and that's really the realm in which you dive. Like that's a that's probably the crux of what you do as a coach and a big piece uh and, and stimulus for the reason why we built Thrive in the first place was that connection between what we do as clinicians and in the clinic as well as what happens on the home front and in relationships and in finances. And they bleed into one another. And sometimes it's really hard to extract one from the other, you know. So, um, yeah, it was it, we had a, a different version of Christmas, you and I, this year. It wasn't bad, but it definitely wasn't like very candidly. It wasn't the most memorable 
amazing Christmas of all time. It was ho hum. It was, it was ho hum. It, was, it, <laughs> it was, was not ho ho ho. It was ho hum. <laughs> it, it was ho hum. And we're also in New Mexico. So yes. the sun is shining. Right. Right. And it is warm outside. And yes. I hate both of those things. <laughs> and yeah, we live in a desert. Um, I yes. especially hate them. <laughs> when we are trying to hunker down by the fireplace and enjoy winter, which it is definitely not here. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there, there is, it probably especially in our world now, where we have so many incredible places on the planet at our fingertips on Instagram, um, on Facebook, on Pinterest, on wherever you are, as you're cruising through things, you're seeing videos of people in amazing places. You're seeing videos of, you know, train rides in Switzerland through the trees and snow with these incredible lights, as you were telling me about, all over London. You know, places where they where they get the weather, it feels like Christmas, it has that nostalgia, and you and I wake up to a bright, glaring sun and desert. And it just didn't have, I think we, we, we just didn't have what we thought. <laughs> I love how I love how this is now our pity party where we're like we crushed goals clinically and, and we have sad. and we have sun for Christmas. Don't you guys feel sorry for we're us? We're such a scrooge. <laughs> uh, but but you know I mean that's we we talked about it. And the reason why I bring this up is because we were talking this morning and I used a phrase and you were kind of like, well, what do you mean by that? And the phrase I used was, it just doesn't work for me. Right, like next year, we're not doing this again. Like that's the way I kind of felt about it. I was like, we need to make a different decision right now, not in November or December of next year. We have to make the decision now because if you don't make those plans, life just gets going, you know, it, right. it gets in the way. I think you and I are really sensitive to tolerations as well. Like we don't do well with them. We don't tolerate things to the excess no. as soon as we start to identify what starts to feel like a toleration. And I think you can feel a toleration from an energy perspective. Like it's something that you do. It does not feel good. And if you do it too much, you know that you're going to turn bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so when we start to recognize those, we put plans in place to have a new experience around whatever it is that we feel like we're tolerating. Yeah, 100%. I think, too, you know, and we've used that phrase before, but what you, what you tolerate, you will imitate. And there's a lot of truth to that phrase. I think what you almost subconsciously agree with, you're going to start to habitualize in your life. And you and I really don't want to do that. And so... Not to say that we do it perfectly, but there's lots of areas in our life where we can tell something's not going our way or it's not quite up to the standards that we have for ourselves individually and then for our family. And so it's like, hey, we're going to do this differently. And so all that to say, it was a great Christmas party with um, our team and um, and Dev was super generous, has over to his house. It was, it was an awesome time that way. And Devin is your partner. And Dev's my partner. That's right. Um, so for those of you listening, I'm in a practice with another dentist, um, partners together, and his name is uh, Dr. Devin Hirong. Awesome guy. So he threw the party. Great time. Awesome. Came back home. And then we kind of have our family side of things. And it was like, okay, awesome goals that we crushed. Um, we had set goals for the practice. We have for the last several years, actually, monetary goals, as well as 
personal lifestyle goals, I would say, you know, or team goals. Give us an example of a personal lifestyle goal that you can integrate into a practice. Uh, a personal lifestyle goal would be um, how much time you're working, right? Like what's the amount of time that you're actually in the chair? Um, because that could be a really different for different people. For sure. I mean, some people, you know, uh, I'm sure lots of people follow uh, Dr. Abba, you know, and the guy loves working. I mean, you just tell, like, just loves to be in the chair. And so a goal for him lifestyle-wise might be that. For somebody else, maybe you have young kids at home and you're really wanting to be there more with them. Or you're looking to be more in the business side of dentistry. And so you're actually hoping to have more associates at play so that you can take a step back. You know, you can have really broad range. Some people don't even want to practice clinically anymore. And that was a big goal for you was step out because you did practice clinically. And I think that bears some um, explaining for those that are listening to the podcast and maybe don't know your story of what it was like for you to set that goal and to actually crush it and now be in a completely different place. Yeah, I think uh, really making the choice to exit dentistry from a clinical perspective was terrifying. And I also think that trudging along and doing what I needed to do on the back end so that I could make an exit took longer than it should have because I did not feel ready. And the, the feeling of ready was nothing more than I was just too scared to jump. And that's really the truth. Talk more about that because that's that stops, well, if we're truthful, that stops majority of us, at least for a time, right? At least for a season or a phase of life. Yeah. So I was so, really, so um, going on? I was in that point in time. This is when we were working with our coach. It was David Nagel at that point in time. And I had made a decision that I wanted to be a coach. And we would go and see him every few months in North Carolina. We would travel to go see him. And when I'd go, he'd be like, have you quit yet? No, David, haven't quit yet. He's like, you need to quit. You're ready. Go back a couple months. Did you quit yet? No, David, I didn't quit. You need to quit. You're ready. And what I found through that experience was I really put myself in a cycle of not knowing enough and continuing to learn in excess and never actually implementing what I was learning because I was so insecure about not knowing enough, especially in the coaching world. That was something new that I was transitioning to. And I was very insecure. And so I just kept learning more and more and more and never actually doing anything with it. And I think at some point the learning paralyzed me from taking the right. next step. Yeah, yeah. It's an overconsumption modality that we see a ton in dentists. And it's a weird thing too, don't you think? People have this idea that um, just, just one more course or one more mentor or whatever it is, one more CE, one more conference, and then they'll be ready. And you had that and I've had that. And the funny thing about that is it's I, I liken it a lot to um, when you're giving anesthesia, anesthesia to a patient and let's say you didn't hit it, right? And you didn't hit the IA. And so now you're like, okay, I got to give them a little bit more. And you keep loading them up and they're feeling some stuff. And you can get to a point where it's actually, you become hypersensitized. You don't get more benefit. You don't get more anesthesia the more you give. Sometimes you can actually make the person more like hypersensitive to that impetus. And I think people, clinicians are the same way. You can actually start to make yourself feel even less ready because you take more CE. It, it has the opposite effect. 100%. I do think that there is this place where we're looking for learning to step in and take over the lane of confidence. If I just knew enough, then I would gain confidence. 
And what actually ends up happening is the more you learn, the more you realize that you still don't know. And so instead of getting confidence, you start becoming really insecure. And so that cycle continues. And because that cycle continues, it prevents us from taking action. And from that standpoint, you stay stuck. So that's really where I was yeah. for a while. I stayed stuck because I felt so insecure about not knowing enough and then just kept learning more and more and more. But to the point of what David was asking you, you know, have you have you actually started this yet? And I think if we were honest and now looking back, a decision hadn't been made, right? Deciding to actually be a coach and to quit dentistry and to go full-fledged, he always has that phrase, right? Like, unless it shows up in your checkbook calendar and actions, it's not a decision. And so well, it was showing that. that heavily <laughs> in two of the three places <laughs> yeah. in two of the three places it was showing true, up heavily yeah, that's actually really true. and when it is i think you can rationalize right we have a tendency to lie to ourselves where it's like it is heavy in the checkbook it is heavy in the time because we're flying back i was seeing him a lot we were going i was going to a bunch of different events so the calendar and the checkbook maxed out and to some extent you could even say in the actions i was getting on a plane i was doing things but i wasn't doing the things that actually mattered yeah so yeah, that, that's an interesting piece like okay so a person could easily check off those boxes i like that you use the word rationalize we've probably all heard this before it's nothing nothing novel but rationalizing is nothing more than rationing lies to yourself mm-hmm what are the lies that you're telling yourself then? Because you have these three components that you're essentially checking off those boxes. You, hey, you know, he, if he was to grill you and say, what have you spent money on? You're like, yes, I have. I'm, I'm spending it here and I am putting this in my calendar and I am doing this. But where was the lie in that? Because we are all so prone to believing those things. Because it's doing a thing that you don't want to do. I was very comfortable doing the actions that I wanted to take. Okay. So I think that's what we do. It, I was spending the money. I was getting on flights and I was taking action as far as getting on the plane and learning and participating heavily when I would be at events. I wasn't a wallflower. I was a very active participant. So I really felt like, okay, I'm doing everything that I know to do to be able to make this work. But the truth was I was doing everything that I knew how to do that was comfortable for me. And I wasn't actually pushing outside of the boundaries of comfort to where I was really uncomfortable. And you know that you're pushing to where you're really uncomfortable because it kind of makes you want to quit. You're so uncomfortable that you have thoughts of, should I do this? Should I not? That's how you kind of know that you're on the right track. And I think having been in that situation, it's really easy now for me to identify from a coaching perspective for clients. Yeah. Yeah. That was a blessing in all of your stalling and hesitation. Because of that, you got to really see how you did it to yourself. I am my best. I am my best student. (laughs) <laughs> but you, yeah. I, the truth is, and, and you can speak to this from the dental side too, you have to lead yourself first. Leadership doesn't work when you're not the one doing it. So it's I go first, right? Leadership is I go first. Yes, that's actually probably one of the most, it's probably one of the most difficult areas of life. I think about that a lot as a parent. Because when there is something that you see in your family, particularly as your kids, that maybe you're not thrilled by, you know, you wish that they worked a little bit harder or you wish that they paid a little bit more attention or you wish that they didn't seek out, you know, the wrong attention for the wrong behavior. Not to say their kids do a lot of that, but when they do, there's that feeling of like, oh, I need to like come down on that really hard. 
But there's always a question in my in the back of my head, which is, have you shown them how to do it? You know, have you actually led through that example? And not just once or twice, but is it a consistent part of who you are? You know, I've talked about this before, but it's that idea when we think about consistency, we usually think about time, and there's definitely that chronic element to it. Like how many times you're posting on Instagram, how consistent are you? But I always tell people, I like to think of it more like, what's the consistency of the material, right? What's the consistency of you? What are you made of? And that can't be tricked. It has to be, that's your integrity. It's who you are all the time. And so in parenting, as well as in leading a team, when you're seeing behaviors or things that you don't like, you always have to step back and ask yourself, probably either what am I doing or what am I not doing? And if you are doing something that seems to be good, right? You're, hey, I, I knit these things in the bud. I tell it, I tell my um, my staff, you got to be here on time. And there's this one person that continues to not show up. Well, then the question is, are you actually strong enough to put down the hammer and say, I've asked you three or four times, you keep doing this. It's disrespectful. Now you have to go. Like that's a, you're asking a lot of yourself. And as a result, people will, follow you. Right. It will be magnetized to that type of leadership. It's such a growth edge for leadership, I think. And and you can give me your perspective on this, but dentists a lot of times with their team will have expectations, but maybe not necessarily standards. Mm. And what I mean by that is the group, right, within a dental practice, people really become like family. Your team's been with you forever. And so standards start to fall and expectations start to increase because there's more of a personal personal relationship there. You've been with me for 15 years, right? Like we're we're like family now. So don't you just know that this should be done? And now we're moving into the realm of expectations and not standards, which makes everything really blurry. And it's really hard to lead when we're leading from expectations and not standards. Standards are enforceable. Expectations are not. Expectations cause hurt and frustration. And so it is really a place to start looking at from a leadership perspective. Do I have expectations with my team or do I have standards? Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I think very honestly, there's places where we have expectations and not standards. You know, um, I think Devin would would say that as well. That's even for ourselves, you know. I, pick an easy area. A lot of dentists, um, we are, we're... We're willing to admit that we're in the health field, but we don't look like it. <laughs> you know, in the same way that if you go to physicians and most physicians, especially in America, you look at them and you're like, gosh, like, do you take your own advice? I mean, and I know they're worked hard and hours are crazy and all the rest, but that should also come back to leadership. That should come back to standards and um, giving advice and suggestions and recommendations from a place of being out of integrity is really, really tough. And I think the reason it's tough is it's something our Hamoji said that I really like. It's like integrity is nothing more than keeping your word with yourself. If you said you're going to do something, you have to do it. And so when we lack integrity, it's nothing more than you've broken your promise to yourself so many times, you know. So I think it's an easy way. That's an easy way to look at is from a physical health perspective. Um, you can always do better. On that front, I think for myself in particular, I may not look that way, um, which is great. And thanks, mom and dad, some good genetics. But I also think that there's a huge component to me 
and you know this, where like my back hurts, my neck hurts, you know, and that's a postural thing is how much time am I spending reversing the damage they do in, in, in crouching over somebody, you know, those are areas where I don't have a standard, I have an expectation and I'm not meaning it. And so my body's telling me about that. I usually think too, when we have expectations that are not met, the aftermath of that is we usually feel some sort of guilt and shame or resentment with another person. Standards are different. Standards have an if-then. If I don't do this, then what? Right? Then there is a, a consequence. We have a plan in place. There's a system. If somebody doesn't show on uh, show up on time, then what? Okay, well, maybe first time is X and next time, you know, you're, you get written up. And the third time, it's like, we let, we let you go. Right? There's something in place. Expectations like, you didn't show up. I'm really disappointed. Okay, well, all right. Well, you're going to be disappointed tomorrow because I plan on being late again tomorrow too. And then that snowballs. And what we don't look at is the emotional effects that that has because there's not standards in places. So there's nothing to really deal with. There's no consequences. Okay, let's use, let me ask you a question then. So let's use a um, a fairly, I'd say this is a fairly pervasive example. Most of us as dentists experience this problem. Where let's say you have a team member that is not on the team, as it were, right? Everyone else is kind of getting along. Everyone understands kind of where to go with things. But you get that one person who just kind of refuses to play as a unit. And no matter what you do, no matter what you try, it seems like they're just not aligning, right, with your team vision and maybe even beyond that to your personal vision. In this conversation of expert, expert, uh, expectations versus standards, what would you tell a dentist? Like, what would you tell somebody to shift out of expectations and get back into standards? Because I think that's a really difficult thing for a lot of people is like, how do I switch out of those two things? So I think it goes to what we're having this whole conversation about is can you be, can you bring everything back to being emotionally neutral? So when we have a lot of emotional emotions involved in something, we tend to make emotional decisions. Well, I really like Tina. She's amazing. Uh, even though everybody doesn't doesn't get along with her, X, Y, and Z, doesn't align to the practice vision, I really like her and she does everything right for me, chair side. So I think I'm going to keep her, right? We start making emotional decisions. When we bring something back to neutrality, then we can look at the situation for what it actually is and make a decision from neutrality. Mm-hmm. But that takes emotional, not intelligence, but discipline. Yeah, maturity. Right? It takes, sure. an, it yeah. takes an emotional discipline. Can you remove the emotion from it and look at it from a neutral place and then make a decision from there? So it's almost, I mean, the neutrality can be tough because you're so close to it. It can, but that's one of the things that those that kind of magic happens in a private conversation because there are so many things intertwined with that emotionally that once we tease those things apart and we can get to a neutral place, then you can see it with clarity and make a decision from there. Kind of funny because as you're talking about this, isn't to to talk too much about this, but I, I see it a lot. Obviously, I'm, I'm married to you. I I hear about what's happening for your clients. I hear about what's happening and. In people's lives who I care about, too. And a lot of dentists who I've met who have come out to our practice, who have seen things. Um, and there's two massive benefits, I feel like, to having a coach, to paying for a coach. And one of those is the neutrality. The neutrality of where we are. We're so close to it. I'm close to what I deal with. 
And it's really difficult for myself to tease away the emotion and say, what's the right thing to do? And what supports my vision, right? Um, so I think that's a huge benefit. The other one that came up a little bit earlier when you were talking, I, th I find this actually super interesting. You do have the ability, when you think about a regular, uh, like a like a regular coach, right? Like a soccer coach, a track coach or whatever, you're training for something, right? The vision's real. The vision's clear. There is a set time. We're going to be competing here. So you have to be ready by this. Now let's reverse engineer the steps that are required to get you there. And you kind of mentioned how it took you longer to get to where you needed to be. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting question to ask you is like, in it taking as long as it did, is it because there wasn't a clear start date? It was like, do or die. This is the time I'm competing. I will start this way. Or was it a standard versus expectation? Like, what was the problem in your own life and in your own mind for this this shift out of dentistry and into full time coaching? I think the problem the problem for me the problem with that I see come up for most people is you don't trust yourself. That's really what it gets back to is when you don't have, and that's self-trust is, I wish there was another name for that because it feels really kind of lame, right? But there is a place that you know, this is what I need to be doing. And when we start getting too much intellect involved in the thing, it actually clouds decision-making for the worst. Because when you know something internally, you can push yourself forward. And when you start overthinking, overanalyzing, microcalculating stuff that truly does not matter that starts to compound and then you never make a move. So when I especially work with dentists, they already know the answer. Now they may not be, that's never the problem. The problem is, do you not know what you're supposed to do? That's never the problem. It's like underneath it all, they all know what to do. They either don't let themselves do it because it's a permission thing. What will people think? It's a people pleasing thing. It is, can I be that bold? Can I ask for it? Can I, can I, do I have the audacity to want more money, work less time, have the team that I want? Can I fire Tina? What if everybody's upset? It's these constant worries about stuff that doesn't really matter. Yeah. And when I see them shift back into doing what they do best, which is going first, which is leadership, everything truly changes. I love that. I love that because there is, there's actually a very subtle yet large chasm between knowledge and understanding. I see this with patients where they'll ask me a lot of questions about the process, how it's going to happen, what I'm doing, how, you know, they want data, they want information. And so that's, that's knowledge. But the understanding of what actually has to happen requires so much trust. Like that's really what understanding is, is really as in you get to a certain point, which is almost like the end of you. And the end of you is also the beginning of you. It's the end of your knowledge base. And it's the beginning of a completely different part of you. It is the dental and mental that you get to an end of this tangible, tangible physical piece. And then there's like this metaphysical, mental, spiritual, emotional component that now has to kick in. And the people who are successful know how to kick into that very quickly and easily and integrate that into that physical action of whatever they're going to be doing. My patients have to trust. At some point, I'm never going to be able to completely convince them that they should do this. They're going to have to take a leap of faith, always. Even if they have all the money in the world, it's still a leap of faith. Will you give me what I see in my mind's eye? For sure. But why Why would you say they trust you? 
Well, I spend the like the vast majority of my time is I think it's spent well, let me answer this and my answer is two different ways. Currently, the vast majority of my time with patients is very much spent building a relationship, which is a very overused term, I feel like. What I mean by that is that I spend time really getting to know them. I'm asking questions about them, asking questions about what they want. I'm getting it off of me. But prior to all that, I had to spend a lot of money and a lot of time learning how to become neutral and unattached to needing anything mm. from them. Right. So I think when you think about a sl like a slimy, sleazy sales presentation, you feel pressure. Like there's no better way of putting it. You just feel like this person needs something from you and they're not going to give up until they get that. And it feels really repulsive. By contrast, you can have somebody who doesn't need a thing from you and the exact same product, exact same everything. And you feel magnetized to that person. And it's completely different. The only thing that changes is their energy. For sure. From from somebody who consumes a lot via spending and shopping, it is the difference between being pressured to buy and being invited to shop. So I don't want to feel the pressure to buy, but I love being invited to shop. <laughs> I, I, right? Open you the do. doors, give that. me the champagne, invite me in, show me the new bag, let me try on the glasses oh, did I mention I have something new in the back? Bring it on. I will spend money. To use your phrase earlier, one is one is an experience. You know, it's an expectation. Someone's expecting something of you versus a standard for themselves. It's, you just live it, right? Like you use that word self-trust and you said you don't like it. I don't either. That's why I like, I like the word integrity. It is just what you're made of. You know, it is who you are. It's who you're being. A lot of one of the things that my patients say a lot, and I don't even talk a lot about the dentistry, like people who come out to see our practice and watch us, it's not about the techniques. Like they'll spend about 20 minutes, 30 minutes watching something. And then the like the very next thing that they want to know is like, can I see you do a consult? Can I see how you talk to people? Now, if you talk to dentists at conferences, they want to know the techniques. They want to know the skill sets. They want to know the how. How did you do X, Y, or Z. It just takes a little bit of time getting out of that in, that way of thinking and into an environment where you suddenly realize, oh, the thing I don't know anything about is how to talk to people, is how to mm -hmm. communicate. Mm -hmm. But even that is seen as a skill set, which is so easily co-opted into saying the right thing. And you know this, like that's such BS. Right. Saying the right thing or the wrong thing is total garbage. Uh, I say the wrong thing all the time. Like when I'm talking to patients, there's times I'm tripping over my words. You know this about me, but it it's not so much about that. It's it's more about the energy that I think I am able to create. A lot of trial and error, but there's an energy now that when people watch, they're like, I, "You didn't really talk about what they were going to do. You just like seem to enjoy them," and they'll say, "This is the different. This is a different experience. I've never felt like this at a dental office." And I can tell you guys really love what you do. That's like the best compliment. Right, right. Well, I think there's this place that happens when you feel insecure about what you can deliver. You have to overcompensate by convincing the other person that you can deliver what you're insecure about delivering. 
Yes, circular reasoning that way. Right? Like that's what starts to happen where you feel this need to walk somebody through maybe questions that they didn't even ask. Let me tell you, Mrs. Jones, exactly how we're going to do this from start to finish. And before you know it, we're getting into bond strengths. And the person's like, whoa, you know, like this, I may not even need this right now. But you're really trying to prove to them that you know exactly what it is that you're doing. And it's coming with the energy of, I actually don't know what I'm doing. So I'm trying to convince us both so that we can take the next step together. And so sometimes the way I will explain this to a client is when you're not when you're not strong and holding the line, like I've got you. When you're walking somebody through, especially an FMR, you need that reassurance, I've got you, right? You have to convey that to a patient. If you don't feel that, the patient also picks up on that. They don't know what it is, but it's when patients are like, something's just off. I don't know what it is. I liked you. Everything's fine. Uh, something's just something's just off. You know what? It's what's funny is that it sometimes it's not even as like opaque as that. Like they may not have even the sense of like something's wrong or off. It's that they turn off. You know, you actually like for lack of a better way of describing you energetically turn them off. They were interested and then something clicked and they don't know what's going on. They just know like it's time to get home. It's time to get out of here. I need it's time to look at my phone. It's time to look at my watch. It's time to get a second opinion. And it, it could have been a fine interaction, but there was something about it that like literally switched them off. And I'm I'm not above that. I've had that experience 100%. But you get to a place where you have fewer of those, you know. Right. And and that can start to build in some pretty cool ways. Question for you. So as we're talking about this, there's an interesting concept, I think, between goal setting and goal achieving. Goal setting, you start this whole thing out by saying like, you know, what you get to the end of the year here and you're talking about how we're going to enter into 2024. What are we doing? You know, how are we doing that? What are we thinking about? So there's a lot of goal setting. There's a lot of vision work there. Then there's the actual achievement of that goal. From my perspective, when I'm looking at what I want to achieve, that's a very personal thing, right? Like I'll talk to you about that. Right. But it's largely, what do I see in my mind's eye? There's a lot of internal work to set that vision. I don't take polls from our staff and right. my team. I, well, and nor, and nor should you when you're talking about leadership, right? But I think I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people are like, but where do we want to go next year, guys? What do we want to do? And then you have 10 different voices. It's even the same idea with like having multiple consultants and coaches and all these different mentors and blah, blah, blah. Like you invite too many people to the yard and it, your vision gets co-opted versus in how you achieve it. And how you achieve it is going to be a lot of trust and it's going to have to be a lot of delegation and leadership in action. Talk a little bit about that and how you see those things being done well by, by clients who are successful and perhaps there's a struggle in those that aren't, they don't see that. Okay. Yeah. I love this question so much. And it's, it's very easy for me to answer. The dentists who are doing it well, their vision is primary. And then everybody, including myself, has a support role in what they're building. And they know how to use each person strategically for the support that they provide. But they don't hand out their vision or their genius or what it is they want to build to somebody else 
and expect that person to come back and have it done. Mm. Right. So it's like, this is where we're going. I'm the captain of the team. I need you here. I need you here. I need you to fulfill this role. That works really well. So when a client comes to me and they're like, I want to do X, Y, and Z. This is what I want to build next year. Here's how much income I want to produce. Here's how many days I want to work. My job is to get on board with that vision and to help them see their blind spots and to curate a team who can also help them get there as well. So what? So would you suggest then that to some degree, everyone is a visionary, not in the same sense that we've described this for like, you know, if you're going to create a, like Sam Allman, CEO of OpenAI, like we think of visionaries like, man, this guy's like paving the way of the future. But in some ways, every person taking ownership over their life has to be a visionary to some degree. Would you agree with that? For sure. Else you're just like, well, whatever, you know, wherever the wind takes me. So what if you're in, what if you're an associate or what if you are in public health? Like, like, I mean, I was both of those things. You were in both of those things, but now we're not. So how would you talk to a person that's in those places or, or freshly out of dental school and, you know, you're just kind of punching a clock. I mean, that's kind of what we were doing. You're trying to pay off some debt and trying to get your feet wet and cut your teeth on things. Like what's the, how do they become visionaries? Well, there's still a vision, right? What is it that they're building towards? You you can absolutely love your associateship and your, you know, or your position in public health. And maybe you don't want to go anywhere different. But then you still get to decide what kind of dentistry do I want to be good at? What do I want to create? What are the memories that I want to make in 2024? Mm-hmm. Right? There are still those pieces that are going to be personally satisfying as well as career satisfaction. And you can still have a vision around what you want to experience, what you want those things to be. I had a friend that was in public health and he really grew it, changed the systems that were around that eventually became the director, Re- right, reformed that place in an incredible way. So you always can have a vision, even if it's within somebody else's, their their vision, you can still have one personally as well. Right. We talked a little bit this last time and I was sharing the story of how you kind of sent me off to a coffee shop and you're like, go figure out your life. Like, here's how you're going to do it. Would you recommend a similar exercise for a lot of people? Because I think one of the things that can happen is you start to ask what's possible and not what you want to be possible. Yeah. So I work with visions a little bit different because I think people work with them a little bit different. So you can have a vision where it's like, oh, I know I want that. Right. So we can either learn by example oh, I know I want that. That's really great. Or we can vision through contrast. This isn't working. I hate this. This is terrible. And then so we can start to ask, well, what is the reciprocal? What would that look like? The other way to do it too is if we're not in a great place at the end of the year emotionally, we can also look at what am I jealous of? Jealousy is a great indicator as well. A lot of times I think we have this idea that we have to be Pollyanna in our emotions to be able to get something fruitful out of them. So we can tend to push or force ourselves into a false positivity. And that's ridiculous as well. So we want to also look at are there places where you feel a little bit of jealousy, where you see somebody doing something and you're like, oh, I could do that or maybe I could do that better. That can be a fantastic thing if you use it in the right way, right? We're not talking about using it to lash out on the internet, which some people do. And this goes back to emotional discipline. But if you can use it to get some insight into yourself, into what you want to build, into what you want to create, that can be really great. Mm, I love that. I love that. I think 
your your answer behind that is actually really cool because so many people feel like they have to subscribe to um, the way of doing things. No, nowhere is this more like clearly evidenced, I think, than like morning and evening routines. You know, <laughs> and and it, it it gets crapped on appropriately. So, I think now because you know there are these CEOs and gurus and whatever else, usually who don't have children. You know, with these elaborate morning routines that take probably if you did them all every single day, like at least an hour, if not an hour and a half to two hours. And it's like, okay, well, you definitely do not have children to get to school. But there's that piece of like feeling you have to do that to be successful. You have to do these things in a certain way. You have to build a vision by journaling and going through all the different rigors. I love that you mentioned jealousy as uh, a spark. And I think it's one of the things that you do very, very well is you kind of you kind of take all that a person has to offer. You don't make any one thing in particular wrong. It just might not be being utilized or seen correctly. It's like it's a filter more the way you kind of come at things like or a lens I should say. But yeah, fair. So yeah, so what we started talking about in the beginning was can we get to a place of neutrality? Right? If we take something like jealousy, it isn't good or bad. It just is. Yeah. It just is. But we have a preconceived idea that jealousy is bad. It, so it shuts you off. It is bad. Right. So we don't want to actually look at that. And we force ourselves into more, more positive emotions, especially if we're really trying to condition ourselves to have this magical life. We'll cut off emotions that we deem are bad and move it towards ones that are good, even if they feel fake. It's like that fake it till you make it emotionally. <clears throat> right. We Well, okay. So we, we actually had a client, a joint uh, coaching client that um, has done extremely well now, but for a large portion of like the first probably month and a half to two months of coaching this particular client, they kept using a word. Do you remember what that word was? It was like over and over again, it was their way of sort of like positively affirming life. Remember this? Fine. It was, it was fine. Yeah. Everything, yes. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Mm. Describe that a little bit because to me, that's a perfect example of what you're describing that it's like you're close to a nugget. You're close to a breakthrough. And right before you're there, you start to paint over it with platitudes and positivity and things that you think you're supposed to be. And it's like you just, you take two steps back then versus right. breaking through. So what's happening mentally there or emotionally? Again, it's what what we deem as okay. These things are okay. We can go there. And the other thing too is when a dentist is going through something, they, a lot of times what I've seen is they understand that primarily their life is good, right? They understand that. They understand that fundamentally. It's like this weird thing where it's, I'm, I'm re they really understand gratitude for the most part and they can feel that. And so when life is really good, but something is not working, there is also this idea of, well, I shouldn't be complaining about this because actually everything is mostly good. So I'm not, uh, allowed, okay. I'm okay. not allowed to feel upset about this, bad about this, be pissed off about this. I'm not allowed those feelings because I am so blessed in the majority of areas. So it's a guilt. Right, right. It can, it can come out in a way that feels guilty or shameful for even having the audacity to be inconvenienced by something that's really bothering them. <laughs>
That's interesting too, because that is essentially um, nothing more than uh, like a comparison model, right? That if they were comparing to somebody who had infinitely more than them and things were going so, so great, they might not feel as bad, but because they compare themselves to a particular Maybe maybe who their family is, what they've achieved, et cetera, they might start to feel that way. Do you think that the comparison is a piece that plays a part in how persons kind of constructing this paradigm in their mind? Right, for sure. And so that's why, to beat a dead horse, we keep going back to this word neutrality because it just is, right? You're not, you're allowed to have bad days as well. No matter how great your life is overall, you're still allowed to look at tolerations and say, you know what, I don't feel like doing this anymore. You're allowed to have a vision. You're allowed to want more. You're allowed to want more time off. Like you're allowed to have all of those things. When we look at it from neutrality, then it's just making a selection. I want this, not that. Instead of, well, actually I shouldn't be allowed to want more because I already have enough. <laughs> so neutrality yeah. gives us range. It gives us range. When we're not in a neutral state, when we're looking at things through judgment, we have no range, right? We cut it off. This is bad. This is good. So I'm only able to operate within a small window instead of allowing yourself the full range to say, yeah, I actually do want to work two days a week. I only want to see, you know, five patients a day. I'm not going to be one of those doctors who sees a lot of patients a day because I personally don't like to work that way. Right. For no other reason than I personally want to work this way instead of feeling bad that you don't work the way somebody else does. Yes, that uh, no is a complete sentence type idea, right? It, that's an energy and it's a vibe. One that actually people are very attracted to. Um, if nothing else, it's polarizing, you know, and so you get what you get, <laughs> which is kind of nice versus guessing. I, I think that that has been one of the greater gifts that you've given me, quite honestly, you know, people who have met me and, and know anything about my past um, or have spent any time talking to me know that I'm a recovering people pleaser. And so that's, you know, I think a lot of dentists are actually cut from that same cloth. Um, not all, but a lot of them are. Yeah. So can I say something about that? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> no. Well, what I was going to say, which I don't think people think about it in these terms, but People pleasing and leadership to me are two sides of the same coin. Mm. Okay. Which you would not think that, right? You would not think that these two things have anything to do with each other. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, I'd say we don't think that because of what we envision in our heads as people pleasers, what, uh, what a leader would be. So usually this kind of alpha authoritative type person who says what they mean, mean what they say, I'm going to get what mine and like putting people in, in line, which feels very opposite to people pleasers. Exactly. Right. So we would not associate these two things no. as being together. No. They would be worlds apart, not two sides of the same coin. Correct. The reason I look at them as two sides of the same coin is because leadership means I go first and that has a tendency to piss a lot of people off, right? Because you're not asking everybody if it's okay if you start marching, you just start marching, and then the people who are drawn to you will follow behind you. Okay. 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 When leaders understand that their leadership can piss some people off, they stop leading 
and they start asking everybody, is this okay with you? Is it okay with you? Is it okay with you if I lead? Is it okay if we start our meetings at eight? Oh no, eight doesn't work for you. Okay, eight fifteen. Oh okay, can we work until five? Oh no, oh you have to pick up your kids. Oh okay, well we'll we'll cut our day short, right? Leaders, I'm not saying that dentists do this, but they can. So instead of leading, they start asking people for permission to lead, and then they wonder why everybody thinks that they have a vote in the vision. Well, and also why a lot of people are, for lack of a better way of putting it, like poorly behaved, right? Because we've talked about this a lot as a family. You have, everything's a trade-off. You're just going to ask yourself, which version do you care for? You can be super upset that your team doesn't show up on time. Your team is um, uh, maybe not the most um, gracious with patients or a little more short or terse or whatever it is. Okay, whatever the problem is. Um, you can be upset with that or you can be upset with being a little bit more isolated and yet leading. Like you're going to get one bad one way or the other and you kind of have to make that choice right from the get-go. We get a lot of people that come up to us at conferences, um, write us on Instagram, and they'll say, you know, they, they complain. They're going through something. It hurts. And and they're frustrated by the environment that they have created. And that's the hardest thing to understand is that, but you created that. That you have to take ownership first. And then you can choose to make a different decision. You can say, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. Right? And that's essentially the toleration conversation. But there's a lot of... There's a lot of places you could take this conversation because I think that's such a huge area. Most problems in dentistry come down to this. Ownership is a fantastic thing. If you understand that you created it, that's a great thing because then you can undo it. <laughs> yeah. Right? People don't want to take ownership because it feels bad. It feels heavy. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm the one who did who did this to myself. Yeah, but that's also the good news because then you can undo it and you can rebuild it however you want to rebuild it. Yeah, the original question of like, what do you want to do and and having this business side of things and a personal side of things, it almost showcases both sides of what you're describing. Successful in business. I feel very, very blessed. Dev and I were able to, um, with our team and with an incredible base of patients, do something that we had set out to do a couple of years ago. Um, we kept inching the goalpost a little bit further. Two years ago, it was $3 million. A year ago, it was $4 million, and, and it was $5 million this year. I've always wanted to hit from a financial metric, and um, and we hit it. We hit it this year. Um, went a little bit beyond that. And the coolest part, I actually didn't, didn't know this until Dev and I were chatting a little bit earlier, but there was a kind of more important goal to him and I than the money. The money was just something we just kind of like, well, almost kind of arbitrarily, like, let's throw it at five. Who knows? It was the amount of time that we wanted to work. We wanted to have a lot more structure to working three days a week. And I, in particular, you and I kind of carved this goal out. I wanted to take one week off every single month. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did. And the wild thing, I, don't, I haven't even told you this yet. I went through the numbers with Dev and I worked nine days on average every single month. Okay. So that equates to not a ton less, but it equates to about 30 some days less than last year. Um, so I worked 30 days less and made $400 an hour more 
this go round. That's insane. Which is nuts. It is. So we actually got to take, uh, we actually hit that. Like from the lifestyle perspective, like you're talking about, that was the vision we wanted. More than the money. The money, honestly, it could have gone down. I wouldn't have cared. I wanted it to be something that I could enjoy more time at home and spending it with you and with our kids. So we got to hit that. I'm proud of you. Thank you, baby. But the cool thing about that is that that's, that's a successful one. And it's easy then to look at the success and now say, well, maybe we temper it back a little bit. Maybe we slow down. Maybe you feel kind of bad about it. Maybe even feel like I got to give more to my staff. Like you feel this kind of overcompensation piece, right? I think a lot of dentists start to get that. And they forget how much they sacrificed for so many years. And then the first year that they have success, they're like, I feel bad about it. And so Devin and I had to have that conversation because we both have suffered from that. We both have felt like, well, I need to do more. I need to give more. And it's like, well, if that's not coming from a place of wanting to do it, but feeling like you need to, yes. that's that's really terrible. So that has been a conversation for you and I and for him and I to decide what 2024 looks like, not from a need to do something, but from a want. That's the real vision side. And then on the other, I'll make this one shorter, is the Christmas that didn't work for me, didn't work for you. And it's a very simple, like we saw places that looked way better. With snow and with lights and all the rest. We're, we're choosing snow next and year. And we're choosing snow, right? And that's so that's the decision. The decision is we're going to go somewhere where it snows, where we can get kind of socked in and light a fire and all the rest. And that's going to come with decisions. Yes, financial ones. How are we going to make this happen? But much better than that are conversations with family, right? Are you coming with us? Are you not going to come with us? Um, you know, what's that look like? Everyone kind of stays close to home because that's where... You know, they're used to going to their parents' house or wherever it is, which I totally get. But if you have a standard for what you want and what you want your family to remember, then I think you have to start making some harder decisions about what kind of conversations you're going to have and what sort of standard you're going to hold yourself and your family to to experience something that you've always wanted to experience. Right. That being a different vision. Yep. And it comes full circle because we have to talk about, right, this is another place where we can either fall into people pleasing or we can step up into leadership. So asking everybody what we're going to do, is this okay? Is this okay? That's not the vibe if you want a magical life. That's right. not the vibe. That's no. not the vibe if you no. want a magical life. You have to be willing to have hard conversations. You have to be willing to lead when people don't are not following you. You have to still do it. Because I think that's the other thing is as we're talking about people being able to pick up on your energy, being able to pick up on your vibe, primarily that's done on your off hours, right? Who are you being in the rest of your life is going to only increase your leadership. So if you and I are sitting here and we're talking about leading a practice and you're talking about leading a practice, but in your home life and in your off time, you're unwilling to lead, you're unwilling to have hard conversations, you're unwilling to make decisions. It does not then translate into leadership, into the practice. It's who are you being all the time. I think in conversations with you, in conversations with Dennis, actually in conversations with lots of friends who are in completely different fields, you find that there's about 5% of the population who, uh, maybe, maybe it's 10, I don't know, where they kind of gave up, right? 
Like life is what it's going to be. They're not trying too much harder than they are. You get what you get. Don't throw a fit, whatever. And then there's 5% of the population that are living what you just said, that kind of magical life. The crazy truth is that there's a good 80 to 85% in the middle that can very easily deceive themselves, can very easily rationalize. And it's that fine. It's that comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really dangerous place. And that's probably a big part of our passion. I definitely see it in you and what you're trying to do with the people that you work with is to get them to realize that a magical life is really the only choice. It's the best choice. And it doesn't mean that you have to go sailing on yachts and this, that, and the other, but a magical life is just live a life that you can say you remembered it and you did it well, and you can pass that on to your children. You can pass that on to your, to your partner, to your spouse and say like, this was a great life. And I loved every minute of it with you guys. Like there's something special about that. And I think when we say it's fine, it's okay. You know, you get used to defeat, you get used to whatever you're fooling yourself into thinking that the middle is a real place. And it's, it's not, you're really going to be going one way or the other. It's an elevator. Like it ain't static. Right. And I think to, you know, to, to the point of what you just said, having an amazing life doesn't even necessarily mean that things in, in your life, actual physical things have to change, but your perspective can. And we have to be willing for our perspective to be able to be changed. Right. So, for example, a client said next year they're taking a big trip, which he's super excited about to Disney World with his family. Right. So that's that's going to be there. And one of the questions is, what memories are you looking forward to leaving that place with? Right? So it's, it's bringing him back to what is the intention? So do you want to intentionally pay attention to your kids' faces when they're asking Mickey Mouse for an autograph? <laughs> right? Do you want to see them when they get their hats with their names embroidered on the back? You want to be present for that thing. Like, are you actually seeing their faces? Do you remember them watching the Magic Lights Parade? Mm. Right? So it's not necessarily that, oh, okay, well, now we're not going to Disneyland. Now we need to take a, you know, a whole jaunt through Europe for three months in the summer. It is, are you there for what it is that you are creating? Do you remember it? Are you intentional about it? Do you realize all the steps that it took for you to take your family there, the money that you had to make, the things that you had to have in place, are you present and aware of all that had to happen for you to become the person to be able to do that? That's magical. Yes, it is. Because I think part of what we talked about last time as well, you know, we don't know what's coming down the pipe at any given point in time. You know, life throws you a lot of curveballs. And sometimes they're amazing curveballs. Other times they're, they're painful ones. They're hurtful ones. Um, but who you'll be in those people are watching, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that I even see as a dentist with our, um, with our team, you know, our team's kind of like your family. They're around you all the time, large portions of time. And I always, uh, think to myself as I'm driving up, especially if I'm by myself, but Dev and I will talk about this too, about really trying to be, um, very positive influences on their life and that who we are with our patients, we're never going to let, we're never going to throw them under the bus. You know what I mean? Like you can have a patient who is cruel, who's 
having a horrible day, whatever it is, and they just crap all over you. And maybe they're yelling at one of your staff members, or maybe one of your staff members actually ended up like dropping the ball in a big way. You know, you're the one that needs to be able to have enough integrity, enough discipline, enough neutrality to own it, to take responsibility for that thing, and to protect your team from that insult, from that pain. And there's a, there's a real blessing in that because of who you get to be. And I think that, if anything, is what we see with a lot of Thrive Docs is that they're so happy. Yeah, metrics are great. Like I said, it's cool hitting numbers. It's great doing those things because it's fun. Like life's partly, we all like, we all probably like playing games in some way, shape or form. You like reaching a new level. That's great. It's fun. But it's really about the memories that you do make Like you brought that up. And you only make memories if you're present and you're only present if you've become a person who can be present. And it's probably the most difficult thing to be nowadays. I think especially for Dennis, for owners, right? There are a million balls that they're juggling in the air. And so to be able to be present for something like that, to actually look at what you've accomplished in the year and take it in, that's a really rare thing when you're like, oh, did I get payroll done? Is everything done for taxes? Did I, what about the labs? Do we check on these cases? Okay, my family, I've got to get all of these things. There's 50,000 balls in the air totally. that you're trying to juggle. Totally. And so watching the face of your kids as they're opening their gifts, it's easy to be elsewhere. And so we have to pull ourselves back so that we catch those moments and wonder why it is that we're working for all the things that we're working for if we miss those things. And that's the power of the question, I think, too, which is what you're probably one of the most masterful people I've ever seen with this skill set. But asking a question and being quiet and just letting that person answer. And if it takes them a while, you're still quiet. You know, that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. But I've tried to adopt that with patience. You try to find that question that you want to be present for. Like, I think there's a piece of being present where we feel like we have to do it almost like, again, like a, it's like a to-do list, it's like a checklist. I'm doing certain things to be present. I'm going to make sure that I journal. I'm going to make sure I whatever, you know. But if you really think about life, the things that you're really excited about, the things that you really are curious about, it's not hard to be present for those things. So how can you ask questions and how can you create experiences where it's easy to be present, right? And how can you make sure that you take care of problems in such a way that they are non-issues when you're really going to be pouring yourself into those relationships and experiences? So, yeah, well, that is what we have for you guys today. That is what we have for you guys today. So we're really, um, you know, as with all things, the, this is our take on how we're wrapping up the end of the year. This is our take on how we're moving into 2024. And you get to do you. So you get to do you. You do you, boo, as you say. You, you get to do you. <laughs> so we're giving you insight into what we're doing and cheering you on for however you des decide to design and create your 2024. Yeah. Always welcome questions, too. We love uh, reach out to us on any of the social media channels or this platform and let us know what you uh, what you're dealing with and uh, what you're experiencing, what your take is. We always like reading that. And um, we'll see you in episode three. Yes. Happy New Year.